Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Titan's Curse by the Fire. Chapter 9. I Learn How to Grow Zombies. The thing about flying on a Pegasus during the daytime that if you're not careful, you can cause a serious traffic accident on the Long Island Expressway. I had to keep Blackjack up in the clouds, which were fortunately pretty low in the winter. We darted around trying to keep the white camp half-blood van in sight, and if it was cold on the ground, it was seriously cold in the air, with icy rain stinging my skin. I was wishing I brought some of that Camp Half-Blood orange thermal underwear they sold in the camp store, but after the story about Phoebe and the Centaur Blood t-shirt, I wasn't sure I'd trusted their products anymore. We lost the van twice, but I had a pretty good sense that they would go into Manhattan first, so it wasn't too difficult to pick up their trail again. Traffic was bad with the holiday and all. It was mid-morning before they got into the city. I landed Blackjack near the top of the Chrysler building and watched the white camp half blood, thinking it would pull into the Greyhound station, but it kept driving. Where's Argus taking them, I muttered. Oh, Argus ain't driving, boss, Blackjack told me. The girl is. Which girl? The hunter girl with the silver crown thing in her hair. So? That's the one. Hey, look, there's a donut shop. Can we hit the drive-thru? I tried explaining to Blackjack that taking a flying horse through the drive-thru would give every cop in the donut shop a heart attack, but he didn't seem to get it. Meanwhile, the van kept snaking its way towards the Lincoln Tunnel. It had never occurred to me that Zoe could drive. I mean, she didn't look 16. Then again, she was immortal. I wonder if she had a New York license, and if so, what her birth date said. Well, I said, let's get after them. We were about to leave off the Chrysler building when Blackjack whined in alarm and almost threw me. Something was curling around my leg like a snake, and I reached for my sword. But when I looked down, there was no snake. Vines, grapevines, had sprouted from the crack between the stones of the building. They were wrapping around Blackjack's leg, lashing down my ankle so we couldn't move. Going somewhere, Mr. Dx? He was leaning against the building with his feet levitating in the air. His leopard skin warmed up suit and black hair whipping around in the wind. Gotta look, Blackjack yells. It's the wine dude! <laughs> Mr. D sighed in aspiration. The next person, or horse, who calls me the wine dude will end up in a bottle of Merlot. Mr. D, I tried to keep my voice calm as the grapevines continued to wrap around my legs. What do you want? Oh, what do I want? You thought perhaps that the immortal, all-powerful director of camp would not notice you leaving without permission? Well, maybe. I should throw you off this building, minus the flying horse, and see how heroic you sound on the way down. I bawled my fist. I knew I should keep my mouth shut. But Mr. D was about to kill me or haul me back to camp half-blood and shame, and I couldn't stand either idea. Why do you hate me so much? What did I ever do to you? Purple flames flickered in his eyes. You're a hero, boy. I need no other reason.
I have to go on this quest. I have to help my friends. That's something you wouldn't understand. Um, boss, Blackjack said nervously, seeing as how we're wrapped in vines 300 meters in the air, you might want to talk nice. The grapevines coiled tighter around me. Below us, the white band was getting further and further away. Soon it would be out of sight. Did I ever tell you about Arunade, Mr. Dx, beautiful young princess of Crete? She liked helping her friends too. In fact, she helped a young hero named Theseus, also a son of Poseidon. She gave him a ball of magical thread that let him find his way out of the labyrinth. And do you know how Theseus rewarded her? The answer I wanted to give was, I don't care, but I didn't figure that would make Mr. D finish his story any faster. They got married, I said happily. I said happily ever after the end. Mr. D sneered, not quite. Theseus said he would marry her. He took her aboard his ship and sailed for Athens. Halfway back on a little island called Naxos, he's what the word you mortals are today. Um, he dumped her. I found her there, you know, alone, heartbroken, crying her eyes out. She had given up everything left she knew behind to help a dashing young hero who tossed her away like a broken sandal. That's wrong, I said, but that was thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with me? Mr. D regarded me coldly. I fell in love with Aranade. Boy, I healed her broken heart, and when she died, I made her my immortal wife. In Olympus, she waits for me, even now. I shall go back to her when I am done with this eternal century of punishment at your ridiculous camp. I stared at him. You're, you're married? I thought you got in trouble for chasing a wood nymph. My point is, you heroes never change. You accuse us gods of being vain. You should look at yourself. You take what you want, use whoever you have to, and then you betray everyone around you. So you'll excuse me if I have no love for heroes. They are a selfish, ungrateful lot. Axe Ardenate, or Medea, for that matter. Axe Nightshade. What do you mean, Axe he waved his hand dismissively. Go, follow your silly friends. The vines uncurled from around my leg. I blinked in disbelief. You're, you're letting me go? Just like that? The prophecy says at least two of you will die. Perhaps I'll get lucky and you'll be one of them. But mark my words, son of Poseidon. Live or die, you will prove no better than the other heroes. With that, Dionysus snapped his fingers. His image folded up like a paper display. There was a pop and he was gone, leaving a faint scent of grapes that quickly blown away by the wind. Too close, Blackjack said. I nodded, though I almost would have been less worried if Mr. D had hauled me back to camp. The fact that he let me go meant he really believed we stood a fair chance of crashing and burning on this quest. Come on, Blackjack, I said, trying to sound upbeat. I'll buy you some donuts in New Jersey. As it turned out, I didn't buy blackjack donuts in New Jersey. So drove south like a crazy person, and we were into Maryland. Before she finally pulled over at a service station, blackjack nearly tumbled out of the sky. He was so tired. I'll be okay, boss, he panted. Just, just catching my breath. Stay here, I told him. I was going to scout. 
stay here, I can handle. I can do that. I put on my cap of invisibility and walked over to the convenience store. It was difficult not to sneak. I had to keep reminding myself that nobody could see me. It was hard too because I had to remember to get out of people's ways so they wouldn't slam into me. I thought I'd go inside and warm up, maybe get a cup of hot chocolate or something. I had a little change in my pocket. I could leave it on the counter. I was wondering if the cup would turn invisible when I picked it up or if I'd have to deal with the floating hot chocolate problem when my whole plan was ruined by Zoe, Thalia, Bianca, and Grover all coming out of the store. Grover, are you sure? Thalia was saying. Well, pretty sure. 99%. Okay, 85%. And you did this with acorns? Acorns? Bianca asked like she couldn't believe it. Grover looked offended. It's a time-honored tracking spell. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did it right. DC is about 60 miles from here, Bianca said. Nico and I, she frowned. We used to live there. That's, that's strange. I'd forgotten. I dislike this, so said. We should go straight west. The prophecy said west. Oh, like your tracking skills are better, Thalia growled. So stepped towards her. You challenge my skill, you scullion. You know nothing of being a hunter. Oh, scullion. You're calling me a scullion? What the heck is a scullion? Whoa, you two, Grover said nervously. Come on, not again. Grover's right, Bianca said. DC is our best bet. Zoe didn't look convinced, but she nodded reluctantly. Very well, let us keep moving. You're going to get us arrested, driving, Thalia grumbled. I look closer to 16 than you do. Perhaps, so snapped, but I have been driving since automobiles were invented. Let's go. As Blackjack and I continued south following the van, I wondered whether Zoe had been kidding. I didn't know exactly when cars were invented, but I figured it was like prehistoric time, back when people watched black and white TV and hunted dinosaurs? How old was Zoe? And what had Mr. B. D. been talking about? What bad experience had she had with heroes? As we got closer to Washington, Blackjack started slowing down and dropping altitude. He was breathing heavily. You okay? I asked him. Fine, boss. I, I could, I could take an, on an army. You don't sound so good. And suddenly I felt guilty because I'd been running the Pegasus for half a day non-stop trying to keep up with the highway traffic even for a flying horse that had to be rough. Don't worry about me boss, I'm a tough one. I figured he was right, but I also figured Blackjack would run himself into the ground before he complained. And I didn't want that. Fortunately the van started to slow down. It crossed the Potomac River into central Washington. I started thinking about air patrol and missiles and stuff like that. I didn't know exactly how all those different defenses worked, and I wasn't sure if a Pegasi even showed up on your typical military radar, but I didn't want to find out by getting shot out of the sky. Set me down there, I told Blackjack. That's close enough. Blackjack was so tired he didn't complain. 
He dropped towards the Washington Monument and set me on the grass. The van was only a few blocks away. Joe had parked at the curb. I looked at Blackjack. I want you to go back to camp. Get some rest. Graze. I'll be fine. Blackjack cocked his head skeptically. You sure, boss? You've done enough already, I said. I'll be fine. And thanks a ton. A ton of hay, maybe Blackjack mused. That sounds good. All right, but be careful, boss. I've got a feeling they didn't come here to meet anything friendly and handsome like me. I promise to be careful. Then Blackjack took off, circling twice round the moment before disappearing into the clouds. I looked over at the white van. Everybody was getting out. Grover pointed towards one of the big buildings lining the mall. Thalia nodded at the four of them, trudged off into the cold wind. I started to follow, but then I froze. A block away, the door of the black sedan opened. A man with a gray military haircut got out. He was wearing dark shades and a black overcoat. Now maybe in Washington you expect guys like that to be everywhere, but it dawned on me that I'd seen the same car a couple of times on the highway going south. It had been following the van. The guy took out his cell phone and said something into it. Then he looked around like he was making sure the coast was clear and started walking down the mall in the direction of my friend. The worst of it was, when he turned to me, I recognized his face. It was Dr. Thorne, the manacle from Westover Hall. Invisibility, invisibility cap on, I followed Thorne from a distance. My heart was pounding. If he had survived that fall from the cliff, then Annabelle must have too. My dreams had been right. She was alive and being held prisoner. Thorn kept walking from my friends, careful not to be seen. Finally, Grover stopped in front of a big building that said Air and Space Museum, the Smithsonian. I'd been here a million years ago with my mom, but everything had looked so much bigger then. Thalia checked the door. It was open, but there weren't many people going in. Too cold, and it was school holidays. They slipped inside. Dr. Thorne hesitated. I wasn't sure why, but he didn't go into the museum. He turned and headed across the mall. I made a split-second decision and followed him. Thorne crossed the street and climbed the steps of the Museum of Natural History. There was a big sign on the door. At first, I thought it said closed for private event. Then I realized private... Pirate must be private. I followed Dr. Thorne inside through a huge chamber full of mastodons and dinosaur skeletons. There weren't voices up ahead. Coming from behind a set of closed doors, two guards stood outside. They opened the doors for Thorne, and I had to sprint to get inside before they closed them again. Inside, what I saw was so terrible, I almost gasped out loud, which probably would have got me killed. I was in a huge room with a balcony ringing. The second level, at least a dozen mortal guards stood on the balcony, plus two monsters, reptilian women with double snake trunks instead of legs. I'd seen them before. Annabeth had called them Scythian Draconase, but that wasn't the worst of it. Standing between the snake women, I could swear he was looking straight down at me was my old enemy, Luke. He looked terrible. His skin was pale and his blonde hair looked almost gray as if he'd aged 10 years in just a few months. 
The angry light in his eyes was still there, and so was the scar down the side of his face, where a dragon had once scratched him, but the scar was now ugly red, as though it had recently been reopened. Next to him, sitting down so that the shadows covered him with another man, all I could see were his knuckles on the glided arms of the chair like a throne. Well, asked the man in the chair. His voice was just like the one I heard in my dream. Not as creepy as Kronos, but deeper and stronger, like the earth itself was talking. It filled the whole room, even though he wasn't yelling. Dr. Thorne took off his shade. His two colored eyes, brown and blue, glittered with excitement. He made a stiff bow, then spoke in his weird French accent. They are here, General. I know that fool. I know that you fool, boomed the man. But where? In the rocket museum. The air and space museum, Luke corrected irritably. Dr. Thorne glared at Luke. As you say, sir. I got the feeling Thorne would just as soon impale Luke with one of his spikes as call him sir. How many, Luke asked? Thorne pretended not to hear. How many? the general demanded. Four, General Thorne said. The satyr, Grover Underwood, and the girl with the spiky black hair, and the, what do you say, punk clothes and horrible shield, Thalia, Luke said, and two other girls, hunters. One wears a silver circlet. That one, I know, General growled. Everyone in the room shifted uncomfortably. Let me take them, Luke said to the general. We have more than enough. Patience, the general said. They'll have their hands full already. I've sent a little placement to keep them occupied, but we cannot risk you, my boy. Yes, boy, Dr. Thorne said with a cruel smile. You are much too fragile to risk. Let me finish them off. No, the general rose from his chair, and I got my first look at him. He was tall and masculine, with light brown skin and slick black and dark hair. He wore an expensive brown silk suit, like the guys on Wall Street wear, but you'd never mistake this dude for a bronker. He had a brutal face, huge shoulders, and hands that could snap a flagpole in half. His eyes were like stone. I felt as if I were looking at a living statue. It was amazing. He could even move. You have already failed me, Thorne, he said. But General, no excuses. Thorne flinched. I thought Thorne was scary when I first saw him in his black uniform at the military academy. But now, standing before the General, Thorne looked like a silly wannabe soldier. The General was a real deal. He didn't need a uniform. He was a born commander. I should throw you into the pit of Tartarus for your incompetence, the general said. I said you to capture a child of the three eldest gods, and you bring me a scrawny daughter of Athena. But you promised me revenge, Thorne protested, a command of my own. I am Lord Cronus, senior commander, the general said, and I will choose lieutenant who get me results. It was only thanks to Luke that we salvaged our plan at all. 
Now get out of my sight, Thorn, until I find some of the menial tasks for you. Thorn's face turned purple with rage. I thought he was going to start frothing at the mouth or shooting spines, but he just bowed awkwardly and left the room. Now, my boy, the general turned to Luke. The first thing we must do is isolate the half-foot Thalia. The monster we seek will then come to her. The hunters will be difficult to dispose of, Luke said. So Nightshade, do not speak her name. Luke swallowed. Sorry, General. I just... The General silenced him with a wave of his hand. Let me show you, my boy, how we'll bring the hunters down. He pointed to a guard on the ground level. Do you have the teeth? The guy stumbled forward with a ceramic pot. Yes, General. Plant them. In the center of the room was a big circle of dirt where I guess a dinosaur exhibit was supposed to go. I watched nervously as the guard took sharp white teeth out of the pot and pushed them into the soil. He smoothed them over with the, while the general smiled coldly. The guard stepped back from the dirt and wiped his hands. Ready, general! Excellent! Water them and we will let them scent their prey. The guard picked up a little tin watering can with daisies painted on it, which was kind of bizarre because what he poured out wasn't water. It was dark red liquid, and I got the feeling it wasn't Hawaiian punch. The soil began to bubble. Soon, the general said, I will show you, Luke, soldiers that will make your army from that little boat look insignificant. Luke clenched his fist. I spent a year training my forces. When the princess Andromeda arrives at the mountain, they'll be the best. Ha! The general said. I don't deny your troops will make a fine honor guard for Lord Colonel. And you, of course, will have a role to play. I thought Luke turned paler when the general said that. But under my leadership, the forces of Lord Colonel will increase a hundredfold. We will be unstoppable. Behold my ultimate killing machines. The soil erupted. I stepped back nervously. In each spot where the tooth had been planted, a creature was struggling out of the dirt. The first of them said, Mew? It was a kitten, a little orange tabby with stripes like a tiger. Then another appeared until there were a dozen rolling around and playing in the dirt. Everyone stared at them in disbelief. The general roared, What is this? Cute, cuddly kittens? What? Where did you find those teeth? The guard who brought the teeth cowered in fear. From the exhibit, sir, just like you said. The saber-toothed tiger. No, you idiot! I said the triosaurus. Gather up those, those infernal, fuzzy little beasts and take them outside and never let me see your face again. The terrified guard dropped his watering can. He gathered up the kittens and scampered out of the room. You, the general pointed to another guard, get me the right teeth now. The new guard ran off to carry out his orders. Invisibles, muttered the general. This is why I don't use mortals, Luke said. They are unreliable. They are weak-minded, easily bought in violence, the general said. I love them. 
A minute later, the guard hustled into the room with his hands full of large pointy teeth. Excellent, the general said. He climbed onto the balcony railing and jumped down six meters where he landed. The marble floor cracked under his leather shoes. He stood, winching and rubbed his shoulder. Curse my stiff neck. Another hot password? A guard More Tylenol? No, it will pass. The general brushed off his silk suit, then snatched up his teeth. I shall do this myself. He held up one of the teeth and smiled. Dinosaur teeth, huh? Those foolish mortals don't even know when they have dragon teeth in their possession. And not just any dragon teeth. These come from the ancient Subarus herself. They shall do nicely. He planted them in the dirt, twelve and all. Then he scooped up the watering can and sprinkled the soil with red liquid, tossed the can away, and held his arms out wide. Rise! The dirt trembled. A single skeleton hand shot out of the ground, grasping in the air. The general looked up at the balcony. Quickly, do you have the scent? Yes, Lord, one of the snake ladies said. She took out a sack of silvery fabric like the kind of the hunters were. Excellent, the general said. Once my warriors catch its scent, they will pursue its owner relentlessly. Nothing can stop them. No weapon known to half-blood or hunter. They will tear the hunters and their allies to shreds. Toss it here. As he said that, the skeletons erupted from the ground. There were twelve of them. One for each tooth the general had planted. They were nothing like Halloween skeletons or the kind you might see in cheesy movies. These were growing flesh, flesh and I watched turning into men, but men with dull gray skin, yellow eyes, and modern clothes. Skin-tight gray vests, camel trousers, and combat boots. If you didn't look too closely, you could almost believe they were human. But their flesh was transparent, and their bones shimmered underneath like x-ray images. One of them looked straight at me, regarding me coldly, and I knew that no cap of invisibility would fool it. The snake lady released the scarf, and it fluttered down towards the general hand. As soon as he gave it to the warriors, they would hunt Zoe and the other hunters until they were extinct. I didn't have time to think. I ran and jumped with all my might, plahooing into the warriors and snatching the scarf out of the air. What's this, bell? the general. I landed at the feet of the skeleton warriors, who hissed. An intruder, the general growled. One cloaked in darkness. Seal the doors. It's Percy Jackson, Luke yelled. It has to be. I sprinted for the exit, but heard a ripping sound and realized the skeleton warrior had taken a chunk out of my sleeve. When I glanced back, he was holding the fabric up and his nose sniffling the scent, handling it around to his friends. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. I squeezed through the door just as the guard slammed it shut behind me, and then I ran.